remain standing. Would you take your Bibles now and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning reading at verse 32, and we'll read into chapter 12 through verse 3. So Hebrews eleven thirty-two to 12, verse 3. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And this is God's word. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon us as we hear your word read and proclaimed, and we pray, Lord, that you would nourish and strengthen our faith. We pray that we would run the race with endurance and that we may be encouraged encouraged this morning to do so. Lord, may Christ be exalted, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may please be seated. As we come to the end of uh, Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews brings this list of Old Testament faithful saints to a close. And the purpose that we have, the whole book of Hebrews, and particularly Hebrews 11, is to encourage weak believers. Particularly, in this case, it was weak believers. Hebrew Christians who were contemplating apostasy, contemplating turning back from Christ 
and returning to Judaism. And the whole book of Hebrews is encouraging them not to do that, but to hold on to and to cling to Christ. And the writer does that in several ways. One, one of the main ways throughout the book of Hebrews is by extolling Christ and showing that Christ is the better way, that Christ is the greatest of all. And why would you turn from that which is best, that which is greatest, to that which is less? Why would you turn from the light and go back to shadows? Christ is greater than angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the priests. He's greater than the whole sacrificial system of Judaism. He is greater than all these things. Why would you return? So one of the ways the writer encourages these debilitated Christians is to extol Christ, uh, to, to show Christ in all of his glory before them. A second way is to warn them. To warn them of apostasy. Do not turn away, because if you do, you are out of Christ and not saved. And a third way he encourages these debilitated Christians is what we have in Hebrews 11. Encouraging them through the examples of Old Testament believers. And he began with Abel. Then Enoch, then Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses' parents, and then Moses himself. And then last time we saw him expanding that to all the people of Israel when they were before the Red Sea and when they were at the, uh, the walls of Jericho. And then he mentions Rahab, the prostitute. And now when we come to verse 32, he's saying, and I don't have time to tell you about all these others. And then he makes this quick list of six. And we see him having moved from kind of a close-up uh, picture to broadening the camera lens and looking more generally. But he wants his, his audience to know. And not just his, the original audience. God inspired the book of Hebrews so that you and I can, can, can read it. And so that you and I can hear this message even today. Wanting us to know that in this life of faith, we are engaged in a good fight we're engaged in a good fight, the fight of faith in the cause of our Savior. And all of these examples that we have throughout Hebrews 11, lived by faith in the days of promise. His readers and us and we live in the age of fulfillment. We understand the scriptures in that way, don't we? Rightly. When we read uh, from Genesis to Malachi, what we call the Old Testament, that's promise. 
God is promising. From Genesis 3, 15, God is promising that there will be a seed of the woman who would conquer Satan and conquer death, conquer sin. And throughout the Old Testament, that promise is uh, unfolding. And then we have what we call the New Testament, where we read there the fulfillment of the promise. The deliverance. And all of these lived in that time of promise, not having seen the deliverance. Not, they, they, they trusted in it. They, they hoped in it. They, they, they believed that God was true and that, that that promised deliverance was coming. They believed in the Messiah, the promised Messiah that would come. But all of them died before Christ came. All of them died before the fulfillment of that promise. They lived in the shadow. But we have that glorious light. We know who the Messiah is. We know it was Jesus of Nazareth. And are so abundantly blessed. Well, let's look together at uh, these verses. And the faith that perseveres. The faith that perseveres, because that's what this is about. Keep going. Don't don't apostatize. Don't turn away. Run the race that is set before you. Keep your eyes focused on on Christ. You notice that's the the these lists. It's a diversified faith. It's this list of of six men. There are four judges. There's a king, and then there's the there's Samuel, who's judge and, and prophet in Israel. You can't put these, these six names in verse 32 together and say uh, th- th- it put them into a mold, a specific mold. All of them are very different. And when you read the stories of these, of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, it, they all have their different personalities. They all have their different quirks. Some of them you scratch your head. Samson? (laughs) How can Samson be included in Hebrews chapter 11? But God, when God saves you, when he redeems you, he doesn't squash who you are. He doesn't take away your personality. We all maintain our individuality. And so when we read about Gideon, he was kind of fearful. Lord, I don't want to go into battle. You better show me What's going to happen? And if it's your will that I go into battle, then, you know, make this fleece dry when everything else is wet. And, you know, he had to do the fleece thing. And then there's Barak, who was quite hesitant. Samson, who was flippant and carnal. Uh, There was Jephthah, who was pretty rash. David, we saw, as being quite selfish and committing very heinous sins. Samuel was very careless, particularly in the raising of his sons. And yet God used each and every one of these in spite of those flaws. 
even Samson. When I uh, had in the past preached through the book of Judges and came to those chapters that deal with Samson, I mean, it was just amazing, kind of mind-blowing. You know, it's like uh, whenever the, the Philistines would start thinking that they had the upper hand, the enemies of the people of God, God would just throw in Samson, <laughs> and everything would go, you know, kablooey among the Philistines. I mean, uh, God would make sure that their purposes would not succeed with Samson around. And Calvin says in this passage, in every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible. Not the most complimentary of statements, I'm sure, but it's true when we look at ourselves, right? In every saint... There is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We see this in the earlier verse of Hebrews 11. But where there is faith, God is pleased. Even imperfect Incomplete faith. This is not a call to you and me to easy believism. Faith is not just speaking words, saying the sinner's prayer once. Faith is believing, believing what God's word says and being assured that God is true to his word and resting fully and completely in Jesus Christ. What is true faith? It isn't only a, a, a knowledge and conviction that everything God says in his word is true, though it is that. It is a deep-rooted assurance created in me and in you by the Holy Spirit through the gospel. And that assurance that out of God's sheer amazing grace, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven. And I've been made forever right with God and have been granted salvation. That's what true faith is. And though we may waver in our, in our assurance of these things and in our, in our grasp of these things, where that faith exists, even if it's weak, God is pleased. God is pleased. And so these, these are, are given to us as an encouragement because this very central message of the Bible, when we look at guys like Samson, how is he included in here? The very central purpose and message of the Bible is that God gives undeserved kindness to judgment-deserving sinners. To judgment-deserving sinners. So we see in these a very diversified people with a diversified faith. But it was also a heroic faith. Wow, when you read these verses, you know, 33 and following, explaining what these people and others 
accomplished. Look what faith in God and his promises achieve. Give strength to the weary, hope to the hopeless. Faith enables you to rise above the circumstances and the hardships and be more than conquerors. I should say it isn't faith in faith that does that. It's not faith in itself that gives us that ability, but it is the object of our faith. It is God who does that. But it is the faith that rests in God. It is the faith that, that is that instrument that unites us to God. And the point is that God will not fail you. He will not ever fail you. So go on. Continue in faith. That's, that, that's why that faith is heroic. The focus on these verses is not so much the great faith, but faith in the great God. It isn't so much in these verses a heroic faith that is given to heroic people. That's not what it is. It is a heroic faith is given to weak people who trust in a heroic God. <laughs> That's what you have. And they kept on trusting in that heroic God. I know in, our, in, in the same way, we, we might talk about prayer and when we ask people to pray for us for a particular reason. And then, you know, later we see how the Lord answered that prayers and we go to those people and we say, you know, thank you for praying. I felt your prayers. Or prayers accomplish so much. But really, God accomplishes it, not the prayers. And when we, we don't feel prayers, we feel the work of God who's, who's fulfilling his promises and answering those prayers. That's what we are feeling. We, we, we I think, need to be careful, even though I, I know the, the, the intention is all right and appropriate, that God is to receive the glory. But even in our speaking, we might say the prayers accomplish things. And in this way, too, it wasn't the faith that accomplished it. It was the God in whom the faith was that accomplished it. Just making sure that we see how important that is so that God receives all the glory. Faith is a resting, empty-handed thing. It's, a, it's an open-handed and empty-handed trust in the God who acts. And that's what we have here. When you read through these verses, 33, and conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, quenching the power of fire, escaping the edge of the sword, all of these heroic things, it's God who were do was doing these things. But he was doing it through his servants, who believe through his servants who kept the faith. 
And this is a suffering faith. And this is why it's important. You know, the Bible doesn't uh, sugarcoat the life of faith. God's victories sometimes seem like defeat. And there is often a cost to faithfulness. And God doesn't hide that from us. Jesus said, count the cost. Take up your cross. Follow me. Follow the suffering servant of the Lord. He said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. To count the cost. Peter says, don't be surprised by these fiery trials. So, there, it's not a, you know, bait and switch kind of a thing where God says, hey, it's going to be wonderful, you know. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. You come, come to me. No, count the cost. Life might be very difficult. Life may be very hard. And so he goes, others suffered mocking and flogging and chains, imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. That's not very pleasant. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. <laughs> you Jewish Christians, your families have, have disowned you. Your friends don't want anything to do with you. Your life is hard, yes, but you're not alone. You're not alone. And all of these, I, I absolutely love the first part of verse 38, of whom this world was not worthy. Now, the world looked on these people dressed in sheep, skins and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and, you know, they probably plugged their nose. Ew. Of whom this world was not worthy. I love that. They were unrecognized nobodies in the world, but the world was not worthy of them. You think about today. You know, who's popular today? TV, movie personalities, uh, pop musicians, sports superstars. These are the, the popular ones. These are the ones who get the spotlight in today. How often do we hear of their lives that are messed up and the wickedness that they are living? And then think of that and then consider this poor Chinese couple on Sunday morning sneaking into their neighbor's house to meet with other fellow Christians in secret to worship God. And God says, those are royalty of whom this world is not worthy. There's no spotlight on them. But they are approved by God. And we are more privileged than these Old Testament believers. We know the Messiah Jesus. We have his teaching. And we have the, the teaching of the apostles, the New Testament letters that, that spell out for us these glorious truths of the faith. We have the Holy Spirit. We have more light 
than they, these Old Testament believers. And yet the writer is saying, and yet see the astonishing height that they were able by faith to reach. For many, so many today, the cost is too high. It's too much to live the faith. And the reason is because we lack faith. We've lost the sense of the cost of salvation, the cost of bearing the name of Christ. But think of what Christ has done for you. This is my, my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters. Think of what Christ has accomplished for you. He is, as we read in chapter 12, the, the author and the finisher of your faith. It's, he, he's the founder and the perfecter of it. Christ is the one who redeemed you. He's the one who shed his blood for you. You were headed for eternal condemnation and hell for all of eternity. And, and Christ stepped in and redeemed you and, and saved you, brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what he has done. He's brought you from an, an eternity of torment to an eternity of bliss and wonder that we can't even imagine. That's what Christ has accomplished for you. Yes, Lord, I will follow. I will follow. And because I know that the trials and the hardships and the cost of discipleship in this life is not worthy to be compared to the glory that you have for me for all eternity. So I will serve you. I will keep the faith and run the race with endurance, keeping my eyes focused on Jesus. Another thing, this is a covenantal faith that we have. These Old Testament saints, they didn't receive what was promised, as we have at the end of chapter 11. They didn't receive what was promised. The promise wasn't fulfilled until after they died. But we have that fulfillment. And we must not then put this huge wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's a shame that many people do and many churches do. The one is promise, the other is fulfillment. But we're one people. We're one people with one God through one way of salvation. Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who has come. All of this is focused on Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Dear friends, if you are struggling in your life. And I know many of you, some of you have great hardships and difficulties, and you're dealing with really hard things of life. Look to Jesus. There's no greater counsel that I could give, but look to Jesus. See what he has done. See where he is at, at the right hand of the Father, looking to Jesus. He is 
the founder, the author of our faith. He's the one who started it. He's the one who began it. But he's also the finisher and perfecter of it. And he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will. He endured the cross. He despised its shame so that we may be redeemed and so that we would not grow weary and faint-hearted, but that we would keep, keep believing. This says to us, be of good cheer. Though the life of faith may be hard, be of good cheer. Go on. Christ is our great reward. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for encouraging us this morning. Lord, be with those who are hurting. Be with those debilitated Christians who are limping and struggling. Lift them up, we pray, and encourage them this morning. Strengthen them. And keep their eyes and our eyes focused, not on our hard, difficult circumstances, but on Jesus, who has run the race before us, and who is our prize. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us the Spirit, and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us persevering faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.